Hello, and welcome to My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint. On this season of my podcast, I'll be talking to a variety of people, from creative entrepreneurs to business owners to writers to entertainers and others, about being bold and courageous, overcoming obstacles, and taking risks, all in the name of chasing dreams and building a career. I hope their stories will inspire you on your own journey. Thanks for listening. My guest today is award-winning poet and senior director of customer marketing for Google Workspace, Trisha Davis-Muffet. Trisha's poetry has appeared in countless literary journals, and she was recently featured in the 2022 Best New Poets Anthology. Trisha has been a senior marketing executive for over 25 years, and before joining Google, she was the director of public sector marketing at AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, and was the VP of marketing at Booz Allen. Trisha's latest book of poetry, The Alchemy of Yeast and Tears, published earlier this year, is a collection of original poetry that explores the griefs and joys of motherhood and daughterhood as she navigated her mother's death along with the challenge of raising children in a broken world. Trisha holds an MFA from the University of Minnesota and is based in the Washington, D.C. area, where she lives with her husband, who practices environmental law. Good morning, Trisha. How are you today? Good morning, Jeanette. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, and it's, it's very exciting. I love I love any time I can spend on my creative life. <laughs> so excellent. excellent. Yes, you're one of these rare people that successfully balance, balances your corporate self and your creative self. So that's an inspiration to me personally, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, so tell me, what came first, your poetry or your marketing career? Oh, absolutely. Poetry. So um, I was, I'm a word girl from the beginning of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably started uh, when I was a kid. My mom was very involved in her church. I grew up in the Episcopal Church and mm-hmm. um, my grandparents were also very involved. So some of my earliest memories were all of that kind of weird and beautiful language of um, songs and uh, the kind of poetry of the mm-hmm. prayers, I think, just sort of mm-hmm. washing over me um, mm-hmm. while I was you know, sitting on the floor and, you know, eating the mints that my grandfather was feeding me. So I would be quiet. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I think I always was really interested in words and, um, and just the, the, the sounds of them, which I mm. think is what really drew me into poetry with the music of the language um, and so then when I was a kid, you know, remember in eighth grade, you know, I discovered Robert Frost as most kids do in middle school, right. but I really kind of fell in love with that and then sort of started to pull that thread and, and, you know, followed it to, you know, find these fierce women like Sharon Olds and Adrian Rich and, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like learned that you didn't have to write poetry about a particular thing, that it could be about anything in the world and that it was Uh, that music could still come in no matter what you were talking about. And what was it um, about poetry versus longer form writing, like novels, that won your heart more than writing longer prose? I think, honestly, it's that musicality, which, of course, you can find musicality in long form as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think for me, that's what really draws me is that kind of imagistic and 
musicality of of poetry that is you know when you have to crystallize the words down into that very short form and you have such yeah. a short amount of time to convey a feeling um i think i really love that plus i i probably have had adhd my whole life and so uh <laughs> you know having the attention span to uh sustain a novel is probably not in me oh maybe who knows maybe at some point in my <laughs> life i won't be able to do that but um i'm just much more inclined to sort of paint the words i think um yeah yeah, yeah. And I can see how growing up in church, you would uh, really take to the words because hymnals and, you know, Bible verses and stuff, there's so much lyricism and all that. Yeah. And exactly to your point, you know, it's distilled down very succinctly. Uh, yeah. So I can see where you where you took inspiration from that to, to yeah. search and your I, own and poetry. And I also think that when, when you hear the same words over and over again, over mm -hmm. a long period of time, you have that experience of hearing the layers of what's going on, right? Where right. you might only understand a part of it at first, you might catch on to the music of it at some point, and then you there's a phrase that catches you and you really kind of dig into that piece and you start to understand something different about it. And mm -hmm. then your life experience changes and then that same those same words sound different to you and mean right. something different. So I think that also is one of the things that drew me to poetry, where mm -hmm. I think in a novel, I, and I love novels, I love reading novels, I, I admire people who can write long form like that. I find myself compelled by great characters and great story, right, where I want to get through it. Whereas I right. think poetry is one of those things where it's like, you come back to it over and over again and you're half of the poem, right? You're, you as mm -hmm. the reader are half of the poem because you're bringing whatever you have to it and the poem changes with you as if it's a good poem, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And it reminds me of my practice of going from novel writing to screenwriting. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to really just boil it down and convey the same messages you'd want to create or um, convey in a novel yeah. in far less time. And you just have to get to it. Yeah. And also how, at least I'll speak for myself, if I rewatch something or reread something, you know, I pick up something totally different than I missed the first time. I'm like, how did I not see that or, mm -hmm. or hear that or something? Right. So I totally get what you're saying. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. And I think that that experience of getting good at or, you know, always working on um, conveying something in the least amount of words and trying to really make an emotional appeal and mm -hmm. letting having people give you the space to finish that thought and to take that minute or two minutes or three minutes, whatever it is that you require for your poem to finish. Um, I think actually that's what uh, helped me find marketing as a career because I was yeah. like, okay, I'm good at these words. I'm good at conveying things in a short, you know, short form, catching someone's attention. Um, so you know, where else can I do that? How could I, you know, make my living doing something like that? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I figure if you can, if you can catch somebody's attention for a poem, then you can probably catch their attention with a press release or an ad. <laughs> it's a yeah. little easier, actually. <laughs> and it really uh, encourages the reader to, to paint their own picture of what you're saying, because you're using so fewer 
words mm-hmm. that, you know, unlike a novel where you can use flowery language and like really paint out the scene, you don't have that luxury in poetry. So it's more of an engaging experience for the reader. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. So that also makes total sense of how you ended up in a marketing career mm-hmm. because obviously like so much of marketing is catching people's attention, you know, very right. succinctly in such a way and having that ability to, um, to communicate that seems like it served you so well over your career. Yeah. I think I found a way to, um, leverage that. And, uh, it was a, a revelation for me when I moved to a bigger company and found that my ability to write well was actually really valuable because it was something that they'd been outsourcing to agencies and having someone mm. in-house who could do it well was, you know, helped me to move my career forward. So, um, so yeah, and I, I honestly, I, I started in marketing just to have a way to pay the bills because I was <laughs> doing my art. Um, so I, I do think of myself first as an artist and a writer and, um, and second as a professional, though, of course, I have a, you know, a, a lot of my life is <laughs> dedicated to my career and I, and I, I'm lucky to have found a career that I love too. So, yeah. How do you like actually balance the two and do either discipline inform the other? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually something I've struggled with my whole, you know, my whole life. And, um, I'm in a, a good spot at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things that comes and goes. So in my previous job and who knows if it was the company, the job where I was in my life, but, um, I had this like really, really tough job in a really tough company. And I was raising, you know, young kids at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my creative life just really like dwindled down to nothing and was pretty much gone by the time I left that company. Mm-hmm. And I, probably it was, uh, well, who knows? Uh, like I said, a combination of the company, the job and where I was in my life. But as I was leaving that job, I actually had a notebook I was carrying around with me and I made lists at the back of the notebook of things I had abandoned in my life that I needed to get back to. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was things about my health, relationships, you know, my right. friends, my, you know, tasks I need to do, things around my house, everything from the most mundane, you know, get the garage door fixed to I should really get back to having a discipline of writing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked my way through that entire list over the next several months. And the thing left on the list was get back to my creative life. Um, I think partially because I was afraid that leaving it abandoned for so long meant that I probably couldn't do it anymore. Mm. I was afraid I would start again and it wouldn't be there. I couldn't do it. So I had to really force myself to get over that fear and start writing again. I, I joined an online writing class. I mean, mm-hmm. luckily this was during the beginning of the pandemic. So a lot of things had moved online where, mm-hmm. you know, that gave me the opportunity to kind of have a low barrier of entry to join something that would give me um, access to that. So I joined a creative writing class and I thought, well, I'm not going to say anything about the fact that I have been published in the past and I have an MFA. I'm just going to join anonymously. Maybe I'm just, you know, a middle-aged lady who just decided to start writing today, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, and, you know, luckily 
there was still something there. And I was, I was like, okay, I, I actually do remember how to do this. And there's something I can build on here. Um, yeah, muscle so memory. I, I committed to myself that I would never let it get to that point again. And so I, I've carved out, I guess also luckily that I'm a, a poet rather than a novelist. Cause I, you know, I can give myself a half an hour most mornings to sit down and write and I can get the generative piece of the first drafts done mm -hmm. at, you know, 30, 45 minutes um, and then spend some time on the weekends on revision, submitting, things like that. So um, mm -hmm. I've managed to find a rhythm where I can fit it in, but it, it does take work, right? You have to be intentional about actually making space yeah. for your creative yeah. life, because if you, if you open up your phone and start reading your emails, like that, that there you go on, right? You got to exactly hold off and like, okay, I'm gonna, I've got time for that. It's plenty of time. I, but I need to make space first for this thing that matters to me. Um, you know, before I start on that. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got back to it. Um, and that <laughs> obviously led to you being included in the best poets 2022 anthology. Tell us how that came about. Yeah, so I had to learn how to submit my work because everything had changed really in the time that I'd been away from poetry. Um, so I got used to sort of, you know, submittable and duotrope and all that stuff, of, mm -hmm. you know, the, just the business of, of getting your work out there. And it was an open call for the book. Uh, it had to be a poem that had been published previously. So this was one that actually had placed for a competition in the Comstock Review. Um, and they take a mix of nominations from journal editors and open nominations of previously okay. of poems that had been published in the previous year. So I submitted this poem that had, you know, won an award. And I actually missed the email where they told me that I was being included. And I was like, they're, they're asking, they're like, hey, um, we would love to include you. Do you want to be included? I was like, Oh, oh, oh my gosh. gosh, I just wasn't <laughs> expecting it at all, you know, because it's, it's so much rejection, you know, you get, yeah. it's like 95% of the things you send out are rejected. And so, um, I was thrilled to hear that I was going to be included. It's I'm included with lots of amazing poets and, um, and you know, it, it really was a validation, which i you know, I'm trying to balance the need for validation with just what makes me want to be an artist. And um, I, as I started to get back into publishing, I really had to ask myself, what do I want from this? Because when I was a younger poet, when I was just getting out of my, you know, MFA program, and I thought mm -hmm. I was going to be an English professor, and I was going to try and be a famous poet or something. Um, it was, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to go for the best journals and the most prestigious and whatever. Right. And that's not really what I'm looking for anymore. I'm looking to connect mm -hmm. with human beings. I'm looking mm -hmm. to, you know, enrich the conversation on, on, um, you know, our humanity. Uh, and yeah. so that's, that's what I'm looking for. So it's not quite so much about these like accolades and awards and things, but, um, it's still nice when one of them comes. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, that's a pretty short journey from your getting back into carving a practice to be included in this anthology. Yeah. It just speaks to your talent. It's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was just, a, it was a couple of years, but um, yeah, it's probably about two years. And so it was kind of, 
but it's that daily work, you know, really getting yeah. back to the daily work of it and also getting better at revision, you know, really mm -hmm. thinking through, you know, what, what's the purpose of this poem mm -hmm. and, you know, and also, you know, a lot of what I write in the mornings, you know, it'll never go anywhere. Right. But it's sort of being there and being present for your muse every day so yeah. that when something does show up, you're sitting there ready to take it. Right. I do. Oh, feel it's like definitely the process. No, I mean, you know, it's an old adage, but writing is rewriting and that nothing else has ever been more true than that. Like, the first yeah. thing you write is usually just crap. The first like three drafts. And then you're like, <laughs> Oh, okay. So I get it now. This well, is and what also this there is are, Especially in poetry. I think there are some times and I, mean, I, I hear this from other artists and other art forms as well. It's like, you do, you know, 80, 90% of your work is just, you know, getting the thoughts down, right? Getting the images down, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but then there's that, you know, 10 to 20%, um, if you're lucky, where you feel like something is working through you and mm -hmm. like you're in, you're connected to some creative energy in the world, some, you know, creative spirit. I do think that that's sort of what the muse is, right? It's not, um, it's not, uh, something external, but it is sort of something you tap into, I think, and you can right. feel it when it's happening, right? Yeah. That there's something different. And you don't it. even know like where it's, it's coming from. Yeah. But, you know, at least that's how I feel sometimes yeah. when I'm writing, when I'm yeah. writing in these different worlds, I'm like, where, where's my mind right now that I'm like able <laughs> yeah. to do all this stuff? Yeah. It's but amazing. You have to be ready for it, right? You have to be. You do. And that only and comes from it. the practice that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's great. Um, so tell us about the poem that you entered and do you want to read it for us? Sure. Um, yeah. So this poem is, you know, you mentioned in the intro, my, my book, which is um, about that time when, um, you know, 16 years ago now, my mom was dying at the same time that I was pregnant with my last child. And so mm. that's sort of the book includes a lot of poems of grief, but also poems of, of motherhood and daughterhood. And so this is um, one of the sort of central poems of that. And it's, um, it's about thinking back on that time when my mom was dying. So it's called On Looking Away. Okay. On Looking Away. If you sit on the couch with your mother at your side, her head in a silk scarf, hiding white stubble. If she holds the book of common prayer, the Bible, the navy blue 1982 hymnal containing her favorite songs, you can always pretend she has not been planning her funeral, is not trying to give you a chance to say whatever is stuck in your throat, is not telling you to brace yourself for what is coming faster than either of you imagined. She lists the Psalms, the order of lessons, hums her favorite hymns, rehearsing, preparing. Two weeks and you will put her plans in place. Instead, you can memorize the pattern of the ivy-covered rug, the flowers intertwined. You can search the glass-fronted cabinet full of Hummel children, the ones she has labeled under their feet, one for each grandchild, even the one here in your belly unusually quiet in his floating almost life today. You can tell yourself that something will occur, 
the deus ex machina you have begged for these long months, the one you offered everything for, all your trips, all your chips to the middle. Here, take my future, my left hand, my unborn child, none of it enough. Instead of speaking, you can kneel at her feet, offer to clip her toenails, the ones she can't reach, the one thing she won't ask of her husband who has looked in her eyes, held her hand in the infusion room, in the hospital, at the funeral parlor, with the hospice team. You can do this one thing you hope says to her, what sticks in your throat is the howl of love, the howl of despair. Wow. That is beautiful and powerful, Tricia. Thank you. And I can completely see why they did not pass that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, I don't think I could have written that poem, you know, right after she died. I don't think I could have written that poem in the year or two after I lost my mom. I think I had to wait, you know, 15 mm -hmm. years, 14 years to write that poem. So um, I think it's, I, I had to like be ready for it with who I was too, not just who I was as a poet, but who I, who I was and my sort of ability to, to see it from a distance and, and then re-enter it in a way that was, uh, hopefully gives other people a space to, to feel the same kinds of things, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so is Alchemy of Yeast and Tears your first poetry book or had you published other books of poetry before it that? is i mean i i wrote a full manuscript um you know in my um mfa program and i had a you know manuscript that i was shopping around long ago but um but it is my first book that's been published um so it's a chapbook slightly shorter uh book because it's sort of just focused on this kind of moment in time um and mm -hmm. then i have a longer uh full length manuscript that i'm currently submitting so Okay. Fingers crossed. And what Hopefully. was the process like of uh, creating all these poems and pulling the book together? Yeah, it's like making another poem, really, um, making a book, you know, you have to figure out how do the how do the poems play off of each other? How do they work as a sort of a narrative? It's not totally a narrative, but it's sort of a thread that you're pulling, you know, through the 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 book what's the arc of it um mm -hmm. i think of it like uh i actually feel a little bit sad for my kids because they never listen to an album from beginning to end you know <laughs> i feel like yeah really good albums were like that you know where it's like yeah. yes these are individual songs but the songs play off of each other they have a rhythm to them there's an arc right. of that and that's sort of how you can think of a book of poetry, right? And the, um, the, the individual poems can stand on their own, many of them. Some of them mm -hmm. are really, the purpose of them is to connect the other poems or to add some depth to the, the arc of the whole narrative across all of the poems. So um, yeah, it takes a while to get that right. And you keep sort of messing around with it, you know, laying all the poems out on the floor or on the table and, you know, kind of, is that one good enough to be in there? Or does that really go there? Maybe it needs to go here. And, you know, <laughs> there's a lot. It's like putting work. together the best uh, dinner meal if you're having guests. Yes. Like, exactly. All the courses. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what have been some of the, the risks that you have taken in your poetry? Well, I think the the first risk was just getting over that fear to get back to it. Um, yeah, that was a that was a big risk for me. And then, you know, you uh, you said how do you balance the corporate life and the and the artistic life and um, and do they play together? Um, I think that was a risk that I had. It, you know, I was relatively new in a new job and. Um, I thought, well, I'm going to try and share some of these things that get published with my mm -hmm. colleagues and see if they think I'm a weirdo for being a poet or not. And I was actually surprised at some of the people who really resonated with the poems and who have become kind of followers of my work because I, in the past, I have really thought of my work life and my creative life as very separate. And so, mm -hmm. um, I think some of that is also just being, you know, sort of a middle-aged woman. I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to be who I am. Take it or leave right. it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so luckily um, people decided, some people decided to go ahead and, and accept that about me, which is good. And so I think that was a risk. Um, there's always a risk in writing about people in your life. Right. I mean, I, I yeah. do share the poems that I write about people. Um, you know, my family, um, my close friends, I share them with them first before I submit them to make sure because, you know, those stories are their stories, not just mine. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, my kids have been super supportive. I, you know, they went with me to a, a reading last week. And um, I'd say my, my college freshman is probably one of my biggest fans. Uh, yeah. So that's useful. Uh, my husband's always been very supportive as well. Um, so, you know, but every once in a while, I, I have written something where somebody says, I, I, don't, I don't really want to be, I don't really want that story in a poem. I don't really want to be mm -hmm. in that poem. And that's okay, too. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, poetry and just like the ability, <clears throat> excuse me, to stand in front of people and be vulnerable with your work must like really give you such a level of confidence that you probably, I wouldn't say you wouldn't otherwise have it because you're an outgoing person stuff, but just doing that, being vulnerable with your words must be so helpful and help you in your everyday job where you have to be vulnerable with your ideas and your strategies and, you know, and things like this. Um, how, how do you find that the confidence you have in poetry works for you at work? I think it's actually kind of the opposite where the, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that has made it easier to keep going in poetry in this phase of my poetry career versus when mm -hmm. I first started is that I have accomplished some things in my life, not just in my work life, but also, you know, in my, I've, I've lived through some things, right. I've, mm -hmm. I've raised kids. I've, you know, sort of survived life right to this point. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think it doesn't feel quite as all or nothing for me. If people mm. 
uh, go along with me on the writing and on the, you know, if people like my work, it doesn't matter as much to me. I, of course I want to connect to people, but the rejection is so crushing if you've got every, everything about you wrapped up in it. Right. So yeah. I remember how it felt when I wanted to be a poet so badly. I wanted to be, you know, the next, whatever, Adrian Rich or, you know, Seamus Haney or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to actually have people know my name. Although of course, most people could only name maybe five poets. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I had a, an outsized idea of what being a famous poet probably was also, but it just felt like such a rejection of everything about me when my poems yeah. were rejected by a literary journal. Um, and I think having the confidence of sort of doing okay in my life and living through things and making it to a certain point and knowing that there are things behind me that I've done already has mm -hmm. helped me be more resilient in the mm -hmm. artistic life. It's given me mm -hmm. more reserves to draw on, to accept that rejection and keep going and not let it mm -hmm. just make me curl up in the corner and cry about it, you know? <laughs> um, but I do think also thinking on, okay, if I'm able to stand up in front of a room full of strangers and read about some of the things that are most personal to me, um, that are most difficult for me, then yeah, there's not really anything in my work life that is that terrifying. So there's no reason to right. be afraid. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Getting up and talking about a, you know, marketing campaign. <laughs> There's yeah. no fear in that after, yeah. you know, publicly talking about your mother's passing. Right. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me, what are you reading right now? What is, what is, uh, read? I'm reading a great novel, um, The Mountain in the Sea, which is a great kind of uh, sci-fi philosophical novel. Um, okay. And then I'm also, um, I'm reading um, Ross Gay. He's got essays about joy. Um, he's an amazing poet and essayist. Um, so I'm reading that. I've got piles and piles of my poetry shelf over here. I've got piles and piles of poetry books lined up, ready to read. Um, yeah. But th that's what's, that's what I'm reading at the moment. Plus, you know, literary journals that come in. I've got the new issue of, Smartish Pace, which is a great literary journal out of Baltimore, kind of mm. on my shelf, uh, ready to go. I think I might take that on a plane with me this weekend. So, um, so yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of things lined up, but I usually have, uh, fiction, nonfiction and poetry going at the same time. So I can sort of see what mood I'm in. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, and my last question for you is what piece of music inspires you? I would say it's not one piece of music, but when I really need to get in the zone and um, and get myself back to the right artistic place, I usually listen to Ani DeFranco, who has got to be my mm. all-time favorite um, singer-songwriter. And okay. the great thing about her is that she's got beautiful lyrical pieces and she's got like fierce, angry, raucous, hard rock pieces. and she is such a poet that the words are, I feel like those words wash over me in the same way that those, you know, hymns and, and Psalms mm -hmm. did when I was a little kid. So 
um, that could get me in the right frame of mind to sort of enter a, a creative mode. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, on that full circle note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for taking time today to talk to me. This was wonderful, Trisha. Thank you, Trinette. It was great. I love talking with you. Yes. All right, folks. Um, I will put your website in the show notes so people know where to reach you and how to purchase your book. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of My Time, My Life. And until next time, take care. Bye. My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint is a Floor 51 production.